Hello, my rebels. Today, I talk a little bit about the royal family. Prince Harry, who I got to tell you, I really like the fact that he served in Afghanistan and not in just some paper pushing job. He was there on the front lines. Uh, I'll always have a respect to him for him for that. But uh, he's absolutely gone woke with his bride, Meghan Markle. And I think she is politicizing the royal family. That just ain't right. I'll show you about it in a moment. But first, can I invite you to become a premium subscriber? It's basically this podcast, but the video version of it. Plus, you get two other videos a week. My videos every day, but David Menzies and Sheila Gunn-Reed have their show once a week. And um, it's eight bucks a month, which is not a lot, but it, it means a lot for us. So please consider subscribing. Go to therebel.media slash shows. And if you want a discount, you can enter the coupon code podcast and you'll get a discount. All right, here's the show. Tonight, Prince Harry says he's only going to have a maximum of two kids because he cares about the environment. It's July 31, and this is The Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon yeah. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Another day, another embarrassment for Queen Elizabeth at the hands of her own family. Her new granddaughter-in-law, Meghan Markle, was a guest editor of the latest Vogue magazine in the UK, and she turned it into a bizarre, hard left-wing, anti-monarchist publication. Seriously, you're a princess now. You're the ultimate gold digger. You can stop attacking the monarchy now, you're in it. Markle chose a list of her heroes for Vogue, put them on the cover. That list of heroes included Jamila Jamil, a woman who mocked Queen Elizabeth's breasts. I know that's so weird and low class and gross, but not as weird and low class and gross as Markle putting her on her heroes list. That's your husband's grandma. Uh, Markle also included some anti-monarchist wacko, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, who argues that Markle herself should be the next head of the Commonwealth, not Prince Charles, the next in line, and her father-in-law. And then there's just the regular, boring, predictable lefties she celebrated, like that mentally ill girl. And, and I'm not, I don't say that as an insult. Her own family says she's mentally ill, Greta Thunberg who says we're all going to die from global warming in, was it now, 18 months? I, I, something like that. Oh, and there's Jacinda Ardern, of course, the censorship activist and gun grabber, who is the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Have you ever heard of any other member of the royal family, ever, weighing in so deeply and so radically into matters of political debate? Vogue, it's about fashion. You turn it into about politics. I, I mean, I get it. Meghan Markle is a grubby American leftist who saw her main chance and she took it. By the way, I'm all for the royals being able to marry commoners, but once you become a royal, you have to give your old life up. You can't be a political activist anymore and also be a member of the royal family. You've, you have to choose, and it's a very lucky choice that very few get to make. <clears throat> Meghan Markle is a former Hollywood actress, so of course she fashionably hates Donald Trump these days. 
she probably would have loved him uh, while she was an actress and he was a promoter. Look, it's fine to hate Donald Trump. I have no idea what Queen Elizabeth herself thinks about Donald Trump. And that's to her credit, and it's to the UK's benefit, because she knows how to keep a stiff upper lip and be quiet about it. Now, my own theory is based on the rogue and cheeky character of the man she chose as her own husband. I'm going to guess that Queen Elizabeth likes Trump, or at least his style, but we'll just have to guess. Meghan Markle, though, she can't control herself. When Trump visited the UK recently, Markle boycotted it. Uh, she refused to attend official events, like the state dinner. She refused even to attend the D-Day celebrations because Trump was there. How gross is that? It was such an international incident that Trump was asked by the UK Sun newspaper if he knew about Meghan Markle's snubs. And he said, no, he didn't. Uh, he was sorry to hear about them, but he absolutely wished her well and thought she'd be a great princess. Here's the audio of that interview. Now, uh, Meghan, who's now the Duchess of Sussex, Sussex right. uh, we've given her a different name, she can't make it because she's got maternity leave. Are you sorry not to see her because she wasn't so nice about you during the campaign? I don't know if you saw that. I don't, I didn't know that, no. Yeah. I didn't know that. No, I, I hope she's okay. Uh, I did not know that, no. She said she'd move to Canada if you got elected. Turned out she moved to Britain. Well, that would be good. There are a lot of people moving here. So, what can I say? No, I didn't know that she was nasty. Is it good having an American princess then, Mr. President? Is that well, sort of helpful? I think it's nice. I think it's nice. And I'm sure she'll do uh, excellently. She'll be, uh, she'll be very good. She'll be very good. I hope she does. He's the bigger man here, clearly. So, Markle is causing international diplomatic incidents. But no one around her is, is stopping her. But the grossest thing in the whole Vogue magazine issue wasn't Meghan Markle herself. I mean, we sort of knew who she was, a louche Instagram celebrity. Here's a photo I bet you haven't seen before. That's Meghan Markle in the middle partying a few years back with disgraced Patrick Brown, the former leader of the Ontario Tories who had to step down because of alleged sexual indiscretions. That's um, <laughs> his favorite nightclub in Ontario. Look, that's who she is. But listen to her husband, Prince Harry, or at least who he's become under her tutelage. In that same Vogue magazine edition, uh, she had him interview another leftist activist named Jane Goodall. Here's an excerpt. Uh, Prince Harry says to Jane Goodall, I've always had a connection and a love for nature. I view it differently now without question, but I've always wanted to try and ensure that even before having a child and hoping to have children, and she interrupts him by saying, not too many. <laughs> and then he says, two, maximum. <laughs> but I've always thought this place is borrowed and surely being as intelligent as we all are or as evolved as we all are supposed to be, we should be able to leave something better behind for the next generation. You know, having kids is bad, and, and please can I have two kids? Maximum, I promise, it'll just be two. Because it's bad for the planet. And he apologetically says, he'll only have two, promise, because of my carbon emissions. And, and he says, and then he says, I just want to show you something else that he says. He says, you know, we're all inherently racist. Even him, he married a woman who's half black. Meghan Markle's dad is, is, is black. But Harry th says that thinking you're not a racist, just confirms that you're a racist. That, that's what he says. Let me quote you his exact words. 
He says this to Jane Goodall, it's the same as an unconscious bias, something which so many people don't understand, why they feel the way that they feel, that they do. Despite the fact that if you go up to someone and say, what you've just said or the way that you've behaved is racist, they'll turn around and say, I'm not a racist. I'm not saying that you're a racist, I'm just saying that your unconscious bias is proving that because of the way that you've been brought up, the environment you've been brought up in suggests that you have this point of view, unconscious point of view, where naturally you will look at someone in a different way. And that is the point at which people start to have to understand. What, I, I think I just got a little bit dumber reading that. So you're racist even if you're not a racist, and denying you're racist is proof of racist because you don't know that you're racist, but Prince Harry will tell you you're racist because he knows. Maybe Harry's that dumb, or maybe it's Markle's influence on him, I don't know. I just hope that Queen Elizabeth lives to be 120. You know, this leftist propaganda that people in the West should not have kids. Two maximum. I swear, I'm sorry. Can I have two kids? Is that okay? I think it's gross. I think it's anti-life. I think it's pro-death. I think it's anti-human. But it's everywhere. I mean, the CBC is the hotbed of this in Canada, which can't be a coincidence. Let me just show you some headlines. This woman won't have children because of climate change. She says she's not alone. Blythe Pepino launched Birth Strike, which now has hundreds of members. They're, they're, they're praising her. Here's another. There are literally dozens of stories like this on the CBC. There's almost one every day. Here, let me read another. Not having children, a way to cut a person's carbon footprint, some environmental groups say. Voluntary human extinction movement. Population matters. Say having fewer kids key to sustaining our existence. Got it. So voluntarily extinguishing people is the key to people being sustained. I don't even think that makes sense. But I think that's Harry's point. He says he wants to reduce his carbon footprint, and that's what he thinks a baby is. That's what he thinks a human life is. His own future children are. Just a carbon footprint. Just something to be avoided or welcomed only grudgingly. Please, can I have two kids? As if his jet-set lifestyle is something he'd never give up. I mean, Meghan Merkel's got to, she's got to travel. I mean, this is, you know, she didn't marry a prince to sit at home, right? But having a child, that's too much carbon. Jet setting, cool. A baby, gross. No, I'm sorry, that's weird. I just want to show you how deep the CBC is into this anti-baby thing. Once you start looking, you can't stop seeing it. The cost of having children. Women lose earnings for five years after birth. And, and here's what they say. Women aged 25 to 38 saw their earnings drop by 4% in the five years after having a child. Oh, wow, ladies, ladies. <laughs> the CBC is some advice for you ladies. Girls, gather around. Don't have kids, ladies, because your income will drop by, by 4%, ladies. So better not have a kid then. Just, you know, just get a cat, ladies. It'll keep you happy. Who is pushing this weird anti-baby propaganda? Pushing it right into the royal family. I'll read some more. Don't pity the single ladies, author says. They're probably happier than you. Paul Dolan tells The Current that unmarried women with no kids are happier than many people think. Well, a man named Paul would, would certainly know if women are happy. Here's another one. Child-free day celebrates choice to be childless. Uh, Mother and Father's Day are exclusionary and shouldn't be celebrated in school, says this CBC story. Look, you're in school already, so the kids are already born. Sorry about that. Sorry you weren't able to convince the parents in time not to have the kids, so I guess you got to obliterate. What is... 
better not have kids, but we'd better increase foreign immigration because we need workers to work, I think. What a world we're in. God, I'm glad Prince Harry is sixth in line to the throne. No closer than that. No chance he'll be king. But his ideas are not his alone. They're the ideas of our sick political fashions that Meghan Markle is simply taking into the heart of an institution that's meant to preserve history and order and tradition. I should close by saying I'm a monarchist, by the way. I love Queen Elizabeth. For those who think she's a waste of money, I put it to you, she's much more frugal than, say, Justin Trudeau. I don't know if you remember, he, we found access to information documents showing that he has spent over $100,000 on catering individual flights. You could see there's 142,000, 103,000. That's for catering one flight. That's not a typo. Who's living like royalty here? And what I like about the queen being actual royalty is that that takes up some of the void in our society, in our politics, in our aesthetic world, so mere politicians don't fill it. Look at, the, remember this? This made me so mad. This was a tweet by Michelle Obama. Look what happens in the absence of an actual royal family. Politicians think they're royalty. Look at this. I think this is disgraceful. I'm shocked by this still. She literally took a picture of her dogs wearing jewelry at a lavish dinner setting. Bon appetit! Now, I know it's a joke, I think. I think it's a joke. But she literally had her personal staff, paid for by taxpayers, set up the dogs and the, and the setting. And she literally had her communication staff, paid by taxpayers, do the photo shoot and tweet it out. And not one of those dozens of people said, mm, um, First Lady, you're being a bit over the top, a bit lavish. You're rubbing people's noses in it. It's not really funny. Marie Antoinette was a cautionary tale, not a role model. Here in America, we don't have royalty. Now, in Canada, we do have royalty, and we already have a queen, so there's no room for another, and maybe that keeps our politicians in check. I, I think that's one of the reasons why Pierre Trudeau actually hated Queen Elizabeth. Look at him mocking her. Do you remember this? You probably weren't, weren't even born when this happened. This is decades ago. He mocked her as with this twirl because he wanted to be king, and he just couldn't be not in a country that already had a royal family, and that's a good thing. Trudeau, Justin Trudeau so clearly wants to be a prince today. That's the job he really wants. No, you can't have it. But the thing about monarchies is that you're stuck with them. Lucky for us, we've been stuck with Queen Elizabeth for so long, and may she live a long time. Lucky us. You're also stuck with the duds. Let us count our blessings that Prince Charles is already 70 years old and has never been king. He continues to wait for his moment. I'm glad he's had to wait. Look at, look at him playing dress up there. It's a little bit like Trudeau. There. He's dressing up as Lawrence of Arabia. I'm a bit worried about him. I like Prince William and Kate a bit more, and I'm not talking about how they look. I'm talking about their ability so far, like the Queen, just to shut up and stay out of the cut and thrust of profane politics. I have my guesses about where Queen Elizabeth stands on many issues, including Brexit, but she stays out of it. She obviously took a stand with the people during World War II, training as a truck mechanic. Look at her there in that colorized shot. I like that about her, but have you ever heard her make a comment about some trendy issue of the day ever? No, I can't think of one. She stays above the fray. That's her obligation, her duty, and in return, she gets to live like a queen. Prince Harry is sixth in line. He'll likely never be king, but he should conduct himself with the dignity that is essential to the royal family and to them continuing to earn the support 
of the public. He chose Meghan Markle for whatever reason he liked, and I'm all for that. Although legally, did you know he needed the Queen's permission to marry her if he still wished to remain in the line of succession? I, I don't have a beef with her past. Uh, you know, I don't care. I don't even have a beef with her politics, really. I just wish she wasn't using Prince Harry and her new family as a soapbox for her Hollywood politics, as she so clearly did in this Vogue magazine. And I'm a loyal subject of the Queen. I have the right to say these things, in part because of the Queen. Stay with us for more. Hey, welcome back. Remember this, three years ago, a Scottish YouTube personality, and I'm going to say comedian, even though I don't think he would describe him that way, uh, a raconteur with a sense of humor. Let's say that. Well, here, let me show you the video to explain itself. Take a look. My girlfriend is always ranting and raving about how cute and adorable her wee dog is. And so I thought I would turn him into the least cute thing that I could think of, which is a Nazi. Buddha. Do I gas the juice? Do I gas the juice? Mom will gas the juice, son. Do I gas the juice? Do I gas the juice? Come on, gas the juice. Come on, gas the juice, son. Come on. Do I gas the juice? Do I gas the juice? Do I gas the juice? Gas the juice. Nice, sorry. That's the big idea. Big idea. Big idea. Big idea. You know what? Listen, um, humor, I think, is often in the eye of the beholder. And I got to say, I'm a Jew, and I <laughs> think that's funny. Now, you don't have to admit that's funny, but you have to admit that was a joke attempting to be funny. Um, I've I got, I got to tell you something. Dogs cannot be Nazis. Dogs cannot be members of any political parties. Dogs are not political creatures. Um, dogs don't have a conscience. They don't understand things. It was a joke, the cutest little dog. But, of course, Mark Meekin, otherwise known as Count Dankula, was prosecuted for the crime of making that joke video and was actually convicted and fined. Well, that was three years ago in the conviction. It was a two-year affair. Uh, he has been censored, deplatformed, and demonized for that joke, even though some comedians came to his aid, including Ricky Gervais, one of the most popular British comedians. But now the BBC, which is known as a humorless place, has actually done a documentary and I don't know, I think maybe they've actually given a fair hearing to Count Dankula, who joins us now from Scotland via Skype. Great to see you again, Mark. I'm going to count, call you Count Dankula, but your name is Mark Meekin. I think they're both great names. Welcome back to the show. Thanks very much, man. It's good to be back. Well, you've certainly been through the ringer. I, I was just looking at some notes before we, we called you up today. It was a two-year prosecution, wasn't it? over a joke video about a it took two years how many how many court dates were there over this joke video i think there were 
nine in total. So that's uh, nine lots of payments straight from the taxpayer. <laughs> but, nine but, court dates. You know what? Uh, I guess that's a little bit less than old Tommy Robinson uh, faced, but, I, but at least you're not in Belmarsh prison over that video. Um, tell me a little bit, I want to get to this documentary that the BBC did, but tell me, refresh our viewers' memories about some of the non-legal consequences. You were prosecuted, convicted, fined 800 pounds, but that was really the least of it. Tell me some of the other things that were done to you by people who said, no, that's not a joke. He really did turn his dog into a Nazi. Tell, tell us some of the things that happened to you and your family. Well, people were doing things like anytime I tried to get a job, people would uh, harass my employers into firing me. Um, anytime we've tried to do any live events, people would find out where the events were and, you know, petition the venue or sometimes uh, threaten the venue in order for them to cancel on us. Um, we've had people, you know, try and attack us in the street. We've had people trying to get our channels and social media shut down, just all manner of things to basically it's an old technique called breaking your rice bowl take away a person's ability to feed and house themselves and it's a case of i think the these uh, people have just deemed that i am not allowed to make money or provide for myself because i hurt their feelings you know i don't really feel that the punishment exactly fits the crime here but these are just some of the things that these people have tried to do because i told an offensive joke yeah. You know, um, jokes come from touching things that can be controversial, sometimes letting the air out of a balloon a little bit. Before she went woke, Sarah Silverman told the most astonishing jokes, including about the Holocaust. And to have those jokes come from a sweet little Jewish girl, I think was the same juxtaposition as what you were doing with that cute little dog. I mean, the ugliest thing in the world is is Nazism, and I think that I mean, you know what they say: dissecting a joke is like dissecting a frog. It's not that interesting, and when you're done, the frog is dead. So to try and yeah. dissect and explain the joke sort of wrecks it. But the humor is the juxtaposition: this cute little dog doing a terrible thing. If you didn't acknowledge that the Holocaust and Nazis were terrible the whole joke falls apart. Like, you have to willfully be blind to the attempted humor there to, to claim that wasn't a joke that was actually a Nazi dog recruitment video or something. Yeah, this, the argument that people were trying to make is that my video could actually turn people into Nazis. I, I would love to meet anyone. I don't think it's ever happened, but on the rare chance it has, anyone who watched my video and decided to alter their entire political belief system because <laughs> they felt that a dog had a point. <laughs> That's, I'm pretty sure that hasn't happened, but you know, you never know. Yeah, you know, it's just unbelievable. And of course, what idiots on the street or any idiots on the internet do is one thing, but to me, the, the grossest part was that the the prosecution proceeded with this. You said it was nine uh, court dates because I guess all the rest of uh, uh, crime in Scotland is taken care of. It's a, it's a crime-free paradise and you were the last uh, worst problem that had to be addressed by the, by the resources of the state. That's an embarrassment to Scotland. 
I don't know, skyrocketing violent crime and all other types of crime and drugs and dealers and all this type of things. But, you know, apparently apparently I must have just caught the police on an off day. They must have been bored. All right. Well, listen, um, I know that you were recruited for a reality show. They love those over there in the UK. But some newspaper, I forget which one, said Nazis will be on show. And they actually, was it a BBC show that that um, the tabloids scared the BBC into sacking you. Is that right? Essentially, but they, basically they discovered that I had a slot on a panel show and it was just basically a show where uh, people of different stripes and different backgrounds all come together. They make sure to have as much political diversity on the show as possible. And that was the entire point to get every different people's perspectives on it. The, the whole show was very constructive. You had it wasn't just, you know, right-wing bias or left-wing bias. There was everything. It was a huge mishmash of just political diversity, and the show could have been extremely productive. But what happened was when it was discovered that I was going to be on the show, um, the Daily Mail, who a lot of people consider to be a, a far-right newspaper, probably wouldn't describe them as far-right, but uh, they were the ones that got really upset about it, and they called me a Nazi. But the thing that I found extremely funny is the person who created and founded the Daily Mail um, was literally friends with Hitler. Huh. And there's even pictures of them together. And just because of the huge dramatic sense of irony over the article, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's essentially the equivalent of Gandhi calling Hitler a bit of an evil bastard. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just the, the irony of it. And it's, I found it so funny. Um, but I've actually got the article framed and oh, hanging wow. on my wall. BBC yeah. TV job to Nazi hate criminal. Unbelievable. Front, and front page. Because, front of course, page. just like you were the number one uh, criminal in Scotland, there was no... What was, what's the date on that there? Um, da, 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 that was on uh, March the 3rd this year. You know what? I'll have to look at what happened in the world that day. I don't care if there was a... A hurricane, a terrorist attack, uh, a government that fell in election crisis. The, the biggest news in the world that day was that you were invited to be on a, a lighthearted panel discussion on the BBC. Well, the Daily Mail saved the day. They saved the day. And how many dogs did they save from a life of uh, hate crimes? All right. Well, to their credit, and I'm going to say that, the BBC actually came back to you um, for some sort of a, a documentary, and they had an alleged comedian. And listen, if I can call you someone who tried to make a joke, I can say that Steve McLean tried to make a joke. You don't have to admit someone's funny to admit they're a comedian. And I guess, unlike yeah. the others, he had the courage to meet you face to face and and spit out his accusations to your face rather than uh, anonymously. I'll give him that credit, would you? Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, he did a lot. Everyone else uh, ran for the hills. Nobody wanted to speak to me, um, but he was the only one who really did. So I need to, I need to give him credit for having the stones to do that. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got a, a couple of clips from that BBC show, and uh, I'd like to play them and and get your thoughts. I mean, obviously you're in both of these clips, but let's take a look to show our viewers, and then we'll chat for a second after each one. So here's the first clip um, where Steve McLean who is apparently the, um, you know, I, I, well, here, let's just take a look at the clip where Steve McLean says, it wasn't funny. Take a look. Because, yeah, I mean, you're claiming to be a comedian. Uh -huh. 
I don't think you're a comedian. That's fine. That's up to you. You don't get to decide that, so that's fine. Well, no, this is it, though. Uh -huh. So far, you've said, you know what's funny? Hitler. Well, we come you know what's, You know yeah. what's funny? Uh -huh. The death of six million people. Not directly. That's, no, no, it's no, not. not directly. No it's, no. No, it's not. Like, see, basically, you think, do you think that making jokes about bad things is the same as being happy those things happened? I think you're lying through your teeth. You know, to find the joke funny, mm. you have to acknowledge that the Nazis were bad mm. and the Holocaust mm. was bad. The whole point is the pug, a cute, adorable animal, reacting so happily to something horrible is the joke. I mean, I thought you knew comedy, but we like this type of edgy humour and all this type of stuff. It's not edgy, that... it's <laughs> Well, you can perceive it as right. that. We find it funny. The, the government got you on uh, gross offensiveness, okay? The courts of the land. And the government's always so right. You, you, no, I'm not saying that, right but when yeah. you say people try and get me on, what I'm getting you on here is you're uh -huh. a convicted criminal. I love this. This is like my Twitter mentions, but in real life. In real... You know what, the idea that, you know, this reminds me of the human rights commissions in our own country, uh, Mark, uh, who've come after me, come after some of my friends like Mark Stein, who's, who's got a uh, uh, unique sense of humor, for the government to be the arbiter of a joke. I mean, I remember joking back when we were being prosecuted, maybe we need to appoint a government joke finder general. Maybe that fellow, Steve McLean, can be the joke finder general. And maybe you call a 1-800 number, is this a joke? You run it by him. And he says, yeah, that's funny, or that's not funny, or that's not funny, but I can tell it was. Like, like could you imagine? Him? And, and what bugged me the most there, Mark, is that he, the, the uh, determination of whether or not something was a joke was that you were convicted by the government, so obviously it wasn't a joke. Obviously, it's not funny because the government said so. Imagine thinking that the government is the yes/no determiner of comedy. Honest, a lot of these, a lot of these people from the left just—they just love the government, don't they? It's really strange. It's really strange. I, I'm not sure what's happened to them in the last ten years. You know, I always thought they hated the government, but things things seem to have changed now. The government is always right. The government can do no wrong in our eyes. I mean. That's worrying, is it yeah, not? I mean, you know, what the happened? I don't know this Steve McLean well. You, I'm, I probably should have researched him a little more before the show. But in Canada, we have government comedians on the state broadcaster. I guess you have the same in the BBC. Comedians who work for the government. And I think that's about as natural as, as being like a punk rock band that works for the government. If you are a punk rock band, by definition, you cannot work for the government. If you, work, yeah. if you work for the government and you're a punk rock band, you're not a punk rock band. You're like co a corporate jingle machine working for money from the BBC. You cannot do that. The, the idea that the government says yes or no to comedy is, is so upside down. I, I found that pitiful, but I, I mean, I, I think they gave you, a, in that little exchange there, I think you got the better of it. I, I'm glad the BBC actually gave you I'm going to say equal moral weight and equal time. It seems like it's, it, it, he didn't have any arguments. That that was the problem. He, he was arguing and from the exact same position that the courts were, where it was a case of, you know, we don't have any evidence whatsoever of what your politics are, but I've already made my mind up what thoughts are in your head, yeah. and they always seem to do it in a way that benefits their argument. He was just basically saying. You're a Nazi because I said so. Yeah. That is literally that is literally all he was doing.
and yeah. that was the only argument he had. He didn't have facts, evidence, anything. He was arguing purely from emotion and his own biased opinion, which he had no facts to back up, which is why he performed so badly. Yeah. All right, well, we got one more clip I'd like to show. Here, here's another outtake from this BBC uh, little uh, video uh, show about you. Take a look. People like me want freedom of speech. You don't. Unfortunately, people like you want consequence freedom of speech. No. If someone watches your video and that causes them to go out and commit a, a violent offence, okay. are you responsible for that? No, because people have agency. Same as you saying that you think I'm lying and I secretly have Nazi views. What if somebody watches this documentary, sees you saying that, believes you, and I get the shit kicked out of me in the street? Is that your fault? No, I think it's your fault for making a video. <laughs> Bug. Uh, you know yeah, how many? Yeah. So know, in other, in other right, words, I, know, I, I deserve it. No, I'm not saying no, 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 no. Oh, another perfect issue. I think you got him. Um, <laughs> what he was talking about there, it, in 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 law, would be called prior restraint. You haven't done anything wrong yet, but it could maybe possibly happen that someone would see this joke video about the pug and could maybe possibly kill a Jew. So we have to stop you now in advance for the pre-crime. We have to put a, a restraint on you in advance because I'm nervous. And he, I mean, I can't even believe a media personality comedian like him would, would, would not see what he's calling for there. But I thought you turned it around brilliantly. You can't make a joke about a dog because what are the consequences? But he wants the consequence free, free speech of saying you're a Nazi. And aren't you, isn't he threatening you the same way? I don't think, I don't think he was well armed in this battle of the wits. No, he didn't, he didn't have any arguments. He didn't, he didn't realize how much he was contradicting himself. I mean, it's a case of if someone produces, you know, if there's no direct call to violence or anything like that or any actual instruction, you have no control uh, over how someone interprets the content that you produce and if they want to translate that into action then that's on them. I mean I'm pretty sure that the author of Catcher in the Rye didn't think his book was going to inspire the murder of John Lennon. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm pretty sure he, that wasn't his intention in any way but unfortunately some lunatic you know took it that way and went and did that and it's a case of the only way to actually that happening at all because there's always going to be maniacs in the world that are going to do stupid and sick stuff like that the only way to stop that is to just not say anything don't produce videos don't produce content because it might inspire some lunatic schizophrenic maniac to go and commit a horrible act yeah, well, it's been three years since that pug video. You would think if uh, the mass riots and pogroms were going to happen, uh, that we yeah. might have seen evidence of them now. It's been three years. Well, um, listen, I, I do give the BBC some I find them odious, as I find our own state broadcaster here odious. Yeah, I've had yeah. my own experience with BBC reporters, <laughs> including one of them who literally reported me to the police, Mark. I don't know if you know this. When I was covering no. Tommy Robinson's trial, Dominique Cassiani, a BBC political reporter, re literally reported me to the police, complained about me to Why? the police. Why? Um, for contempt of court, because, Eddie, I won't get into the details. I've, I've, I've done shows on it and tweeted about it. Um, I mean, listen, if he disagrees with me, that's fine. I mean, he should ignore me. I'm a nobody from Canada. For him to call the Metropolitan Police and complain about me, he's a journalist. 
But again, being a government journalist is like being a government comedian. You, that adjective destroys the central qualities of journalism. That's the BBC, but my point about mentioning that odious man is to say, I give them a drop of credit for at least giving you some airtime. And I thought you cleaned the clock about Steve McLean. Has there been any, what's been the reaction to this, um, to this special? Um, has it been popular? Have there been complaints to your government hurt feelings regulator called Ofcom? What, what's been the reaction? There hasn't. Uh, it's been mostly positive. A lot of people are uh, sort of starting to wake up because I think one of the main things that the media are most concerned with is they've painted this image of me as, you know, the great big bad Nazi guy. And the one thing that I get said to me all the time when people start to consume my content or actually meet me in person is, oh, wow, you, you, you aren't you aren't anything like the way I thought you were. And that's when I go, yeah, stop reading the paper. Because yeah. people realise that I'm not actually like that. So, the, and the media have the media like to rage bait. You know, they like to get those clicks in by making rage articles, and I'm a source of that. So, I'm a valuable source of income for them. So, it's in their best interest for the general population to not see what I am actually like, and that I'm not the way I'm made out to be. Because they they stand to lose out in the long run, especially because they'll be exposed as liars, even though. Even though the, the media are getting caught lying about one more things, um, I, I drop in the bucket, <laughs> you yeah. know, at this point. But still, it's a victory. That, it's a victory they don't want me to have. Yeah, you know, I think that you are. I'm not sure if placebo is the right word. Uh, it is my view, Mark, that there actually is a lot of Nazi-like hatred in the United Kingdom, but it doesn't come from Indigenous Scots or Brits or Englishmen. It comes, and I'm sorry to say this, from the hundreds of thousands or even millions of people who move to the United Kingdom with anti-Semitism in their bones from countries where Jews were eradicated. I'm talking about Muslim countries, including in the Middle East. I believe there is a great deal of anti-Semitism in the UK, but Mark, it's easier to prosecute you a humorous, slightly quirky, maybe more than slightly quirky, uh, YouTube comedian from Scotland, because you're not going to blow anybody up. You're not going to have a march of a thousand angry people outside your mosque. You're going to go peacefully and quietly. And you're such a colorful character. Like you say, you'll fill up all the tabloids. You are a placebo. You are a decoy for the government to say, look how tough we are on Nazis. We had a multi-year prosecution of a YouTube comedian. We show we care about anti-Semitism, while 23,000 jihadis, according to MI5 or 6, one of the MIs, uh, walked the streets of the London. I think that you serve not only a distraction purpose for the media, but for the police and the prosecutors too, so they can justify or, or uh, distract from the fact that they actually do have a hatred problem in the UK, that they're too terrified to tackle Mark. Yeah. I mean, what do you, you think is more likely to cause anti-Semitic attacks? A dog lifting its paw or a doctrine that actively teaches you to do it? Yeah. I want to ask you about one last thing, and thanks for giving me so much time here, but I'm sure you saw the viral video of a woman in Waltham Forest um, shrieking at a gay pride march. Do you know what I'm talking about, that, that viral vid the other day? 
Was this the uh, woman in the burqa? That's she right. Next to, next so to she, some buses? Yeah, I did see that, yeah. So she was saying, shame on you. Shame on you, you shameless people. Shame on you, you despicable people. God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. That's, those, that's everything she said. She repeated some of that. Um, she was not violent. She did not threaten anyone. She did not physically impede anyone or touch anyone. Um, for those who were progressive on issues of sexuality, they, they would find those uh, comments offensive and disrespectful. But actually, uh, other than the shocking, um, you know, Handmaid's Tale look and feel of a woman in a burqa shouting at uh, gay men on the streets of London, in my view, I don't actually see the crime there. To my surprise, she was arrested. I don't even know how they would pick her out of a lineup. Everyone looks oh, at <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know she got arrested. Yeah, same day, the Waltham Forest Police announced they had a 38-year-old woman in custody almost immediately. I have no clue how that happened, but I'm going to make a prediction, and this will be proven or not very quickly, that she will not face a prosecution. First of all, I don't think she should be prosecuted because I don't think yeah. she committed a crime. Shouting shame on you should be allowed at any political protest really. And I think a pride parade is a form of a political statement. I think you should be able to say shame on you. And someone should be able to say shame on you to a woman in a burqa, even if it's offensive. I don't yeah. think they're going to prosecute this woman for the reason I just said, because unlike you, she's part of a politically protected class. And Steve McLean, the courageous Steve McLean, who said, Mark, we're one inch away from a Holocaust in the UK because of your pug video. If he was face-to-face -face or face-to-burka with this woman, he wouldn't have the courage to muster his arguments about what the Koran and her shouting at the Gay Pride March could do consequence-free. I, th I think for him, this was a placebo. He could play-act his concern for minorities with you because you're a straight, white, male, indigenous Scot, and if he was face to burqa with this 38-year-old shrieking woman, he would turn into a puddle and say, oh, you're so right, we need to be more tolerant to you, or something. What do you think of that? I, he wouldn't have challenged her. And I, I, I don't, I, I'm actually quite shocked they arrested her. I did not expect that. I, again, I agree with you, though, that she should not have been arrested. That is her right to say that. But I do also agree that she probably won't face prosecution, even though you know, homophobic insults and stuff like that, that is a hate crime here in Britain, you know, like it or, like it or not, you know, that, that is a hate crime and that should result in prosecution, especially since she was in the street pointing a finger in their face and saying it. But <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be surprised to see what people say about this because this is the thing is, like, when it comes to Sharia, like, homophobia is illegal, apparently punishable by death. And so people, that's something that is going to need to be confronted sooner or later. But I mean, but if you confront Islam, though, you know, you're a horrible Nazi bigot fascist. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the how the far lefties react to this one. Well, if you if you listen to that uh, um, Waltham Forest Pride video, the last thing or one of the things you hear, I think it's the last thing in the clip is a gay pride marcher saying that's what the that's what the fascists and racists say about you. So someone in the gay pride parade was so shocked because he had convinced himself that 
that um, fundamentalist Muslims and gay activists are somehow allies against the man. And I think there was this moment of shock where he said, hang on, sister, uh, you're using the language against us that's used against you. He maybe had a moment of clarity that the, the true th threat to homosexual activism and freedom in the UK is not from the Church of England, but maybe from a, a different religion. Um, listen, Mark, this is very interesting. I enjoy having you on the show. I can't get enough of your accent. And I, I've started to watch one of uh, your series, Mad Lads. And for some reason, I yeah. started with The Naked Rambler. And uh, I learned <laughs> a lot more than I wanted to. But I do recommend your channel to our viewers to, to get a feeling for your style, your sense of humor. I call you a raconteur, I think that's what you are. And for anyone who's, who doubts my assessment of you and my own judgment, unlike Steve McLean, that you are a comedian, I would encourage them to go to your website, Count Dankula is your more popular name. They're very funny videos. And for folks who love the Scottish accent as much as I do, you're, you're just going to start binge watching. I guarantee you that. Mark, it's great to see you. Thanks for taking all the time with us. And um, I hope you are able to stay free in the United Kingdom. But I've learned so much about that place in the last two years through Tommy Robinson that I, I predict um, you may face the law again for your unofficial illegal jokes. I've got a feeling it probably will happen one day, but... I'll be, don't worry, I'll be better prepared for it next time. Well, I'm sure you will be, and, uh, and I'm, I'm sure you'll come out on, on top morally, at least, if not legally. Great to see you. Thanks for your time. Thanks, man. All right, there you have it. Mark Meekin, also known as Count Dankula. Uh, a lot to cover there. We touched on many subjects, but I think, as always, people say, Ezra, why are you, why are you focused on the UK so much? Well, it's an interesting story in itself, don't you think? But what happens in the UK today happens in Canada in five years and the United States in 10 years. It's our own time machine to see our Orwellian future. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Welcome back on my monologue yesterday about Keanu College in Alberta implementing free speech rules. And I see other colleges are about to release theirs too in Alberta. Stephen writes, one university implementing free speech is a start. Now if the police would rein in Antifa and start tossing them when they start beating people, that would help take the fear away, uh, the fear of talking away. You're right. Um, I think University of Lethbridge is about to roll out theirs. Others will too. I find it so bizarre, this framing. Even, I think it was the Lethbridge newspaper today, the government is going to force the University of Lethbridge to be free. Yeah, you, that's the misuse of the word force. You don't force someone to be free. They're free by nature. They're fear. That's the default state of, of people. You're forcing bureaucrats to pull in their claws. That's the forcing. You're not forcing people to be free. Everyone wants to be free. And if someone is trying to frame this freedom as some imposition, they are, they are the problem. They're part of the problem. Yeah, I mean, my point yesterday was when a campus must be free because the bureaucrats are reined in. That really stops a lot of the rent-seeking by shakedown artists. And I think what you pointed about Antifa is absolutely true. I don't think street gangs should be exempted from uh, consequences just because they give themselves a fancy name like Antifa. Bruce writes, what a sad commentary on our land when free speech is controversial rather than natural. Yeah, that's my point exactly. And since when did journalists take this point of view? I swear, it was just 10 years ago 
when journalists, it was accepted, it was just accepted, yeah, you're for free speech. Even if you're not really an advocate when you're pressed on it, yeah, for your free speech. I don't believe that's the case with journalists anymore. I don't believe journalists believe in free speech anymore, except for themselves. On my interview with Lauren Gunter, Paul writes, the corruption in the Liberal Party has always run deep, but under Trudeau, they act like petty tyrants who think they can't be touched, thanks to their media echo chamber. Yeah, I mean, Gerald Butts is back. Can you believe that? He is fingered in every corruption scandal of this PMO, from SNC-Lavalin to the false prosecution of Vice Admiral Mark Norman to his own corruption of his $100,000-plus moving <laughs> expense just to go down the highway from Toronto to Ottawa. And he was up to his eyeballs in covering up Justin Trudeau's secret vacation on Billionaire Island of the Aga Khan in the, uh, in the Caribbean. To bring him back in is so brazen, but Trudeau's making a bet that has paid off for him a thousand times. Bet that he can just get away with it. Part of Stephen Harper and Nigel Wright and all the conservatives, part of their problem was that they blinked. A $16 orange juice for Bev Oda, and they blinked and they sacked her from cabinet. Uh, Trudeau doesn't blink at $100 million, billion dollar, $4.5 billion gaps. He doesn't blink. And so the media says, oh, um, I guess that's the new normal now. I will accept that and my $600 million bailout. It's the brazenness. It'll be an interesting test of our country's self-respect and dignity in October if we re-elect that. All right, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom.